so that it's easy to be lulled into that. Man, that next alarm. Man, you don't need your gear, bro. We've been here three times, right? No, nah, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't worry. It's not a fire. Oh, it's not an extrication. Don't put your gear on. And, and, and we get lulled into this, this apathy, and it's this constant fight against it. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Weekly Scrap number 77, correct? 77. Awesome, man. What's a... Sean Duffy, Build Your Culture. Nick Pepper, North Florida Fire Expo, and uh, Make Do Suburban Fireman Podcast. And we got our special guest here today. It's going to be uh, DJ Stone. DJ, welcome to the show. Thank you. DJ Stone, 41 Beach Fire Department, 850 Fireman. Fireman. Man. The Fireman. Yep. Awesome. It's a little something different today. A little collaboration between uh, Firehouse Vigilance and the Make Do Suburban Fireman Podcast. Uh, and uh, first uh, doing it live, I think. So this is kind of a different feel. This is new. Very new. For sure. Uncharted. <laughs> Uncharted territory. <laughs> well, we're either going to, it's going to be a huge success or we're going to crash and burn, but either way, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. We're going to learn stuff no matter what. For yeah. sure. For sure. <laughs> no doubt. So, they're going to teach us. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully these guys out in the crowd. we got a lot of uh, experience out in the crowd, so we'll glean some stuff from these guys. Cool. You kick it off. Kick it off there, Corley. Let's well, do it, kicking, brother. Well, what, what's our first topic of discussion? Yeah, I'm let's, happy uh, to be here in the state of Florida. Let's talk about the expo first. Yeah. I think that, that needs to be talked about a little bit. So Yeah, so we're live uh, from the North Florida Fire Expo here in uh, Navarre Beach. And uh, this is uh, this is kind of ground zero. We're, we're kind of kicking off with uh, we just had our instructor dinner, literally. Uh, rolled in here, uh, waddled in here, however we got in here, uh, from the uh, samurai steak, uh, <coughs> Japanese steakhouse a few minutes ago so uh, we're all full and uh but uh yeah no we're, we're kicking off with the podcast here this is something different we wanted to uh kind of bring this uh as a way to kind of jump in both feet uh, all in on the expo uh, we got a lot of great instructors most of them are sitting in the crowd right now um, a couple of them are up here on this table um, not including myself but uh we've got a great team behind us and uh couldn't be more proud we we are uh, basically at capacity uh this year which is awesome uh, from uh, uh, notes on a napkin a couple years ago to a uh, damn near sold out conference is pretty awesome and uh, couldn't uh, couldn't do with all the guys that uh, put in all the countless hours of work from building props to moving stuff logistics uh, the instructors that are giving of their time so uh, we're very grateful to have everybody here and uh, this podcast is just a, a, a small part of what's going to be a great week I think so we're looking forward to it um, hope everybody has a great time here this week um, hopefully you guys get to enjoy uh, the, the natural scenery outside the uh, windows here. Uh, we're in a very beautiful location here on the beach. So, um, yeah, let's, let's go. Yeah, um, second year, right? Second year. Second year, yeah. And the fact that, that you drew um, a crowd almost sold out is, is, is pretty good, uh, being that it's kind of a conference season early on in 21. So and I'm excited because it's in our backyard. You know, yeah. I live a mile from here. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's here. No, I, I'm, I'm super pumped to be here. I got You got Mike and Ann. Uh, not only Mike doing the keynote tomorrow, go, no go, this house rocks, is going to influence it, I guarantee it. Uh, they, they added on the marriage conference workshop at the end, which me and my wife are excited to attend. Uh, Avillo and all his... Every, I'm catching everything he's doing basically while I'm here. I'm so excited. He's right over there laughing at you. Yeah, he is. Look <laughs> yes, at him. Hi. There's the chief right there. Uh, so, yeah, I get it. 
to this yeah. guy. But no, it's awesome, man. It's, yeah. it's exciting what you guys are putting together. Yeah, I'm super excited too. Um, you know, when when you came to me last year um, and, and talked about this, you know, I remember how it was kind of a, a a thing to help a member of your organization. You know, and we raised what would we raise for uh, ten thousand ten thousand dollars. You know, and just to be a part of that was awesome. So to to have the need and want to do this a second year, um, especially with the amount of people that wanted to come here. Um, you know the, the the caliber of instructors and the classes that are that are here are just you know you you pay hundreds of dollars to go see that you know um so the that's going to be incredible lots of things for people from leadership to search classes to writ to whatever you really want to take and you know with the year that 2020 gave us with covid and, and coming into 21 i think this is very much needed for everybody not just like socially but as, as a fire service you know getting back on on the train to uh train yes right? and uh and just get things done so yeah i'm excited ab- for it absolutely um you know guys guys have uh i think chomping at the bit to get back to some normalcy in the fire service you know I mean, this is a. Uh, this is kind of a good time of year. Spring's kind of coming around the corner, and uh, guys want to get out, get busy, get with it. Um, and you know, this is a, this is a great opportunity for us. I know it's a lot of work, but it's awesome to see everybody that's contributed coming in and just pouring. You know, from all the instructors, like I said, pouring all their passion and energy into these guys. Guys working around the clock. You know, making sure props are done, making sure uh, logistics are taken care of. Um, it, it, it truly takes a village. It's, it's not a uh, one or two man operation at all. It, it is absolutely uh, a family, um, and that's one thing that we're very we're very happy here to have a very family feel. I, f- I think, and uh, the instructors and, and everybody that's involved. Uh, we want to make sure that they feel like when they leave here that they had they had a damn good time. I mean, they were taken care of, and uh, you know the students feel like. Hey, you know, I, I learned something. I, I networked. I made some friends, uh, and they walk away going, "Man, I, got, I want to do that again." So, uh, like I said, proud, proud of everybody involved, and, and super happy to be here. Right. No, and one of the best parts about conferences is you get to put a name or a face to all those names yeah. that you've met throughout the year and talked to through social media or whatever, and actually get to put a face to them. It's just awesome. And a hype, right? People look bigger. Some, uh, yeah. I didn't say it. <laughs> Sean's not nearly nearly yeah, I'm, as uh, I'm not nearly as tall, tall as I look. Yeah, I'm just yeah. a little guy. So. It's all camera optics. Do <laughs> uh, you have any questions, Corley? So far, none. I mean, not that, I'm waiting to read the uh, comments coming from the audience. And what are you teaching? Uh, so for me, uh, we'll be teaching a uh, the our searchable for survivable class. It's a 10 hour day, so. The first uh, three hours of it is going to be lecture. We're going to be hitting on the UL studies, uh, statistics that we've been able to gain through Firefighter Rescue Survey. Um, Chief Brian Brush, he's doing amazing with his research paper, just giving us awesome uh, data. So we're going to touch on that. Uh, we'll go over where we're successful, maybe where we're not so successful. Um, really what the class is about is education, uh, educational decision-making. You know, going through the process and not just acting out um, emotionally, um, or the opposite, right? Uh, where where we decide to take risks uh, and where we don't decide to take risks, and understanding that that means different things to different people. You know, so something that you're okay with, maybe Nick won't be okay with. You know, but ultimately we still have to show up and do our job and do what we said we were going to do. Um, you know, otherwise we're just cheating the citizens. That, that's really what it's about. And uh, the fire department today, we don't hesitate to ask for, for money for fire engines, um, for equipment that we need. 
pay raises, any of those things, and, and our citizens are, are pretty much willing to give it to us. And uh, to me, I, I think we're just robbing them if, if we're willing to accept their money for those things Absolutely. and we're not willing to um, reciprocate that back and do what we said we're going to do. So um, that's the lecture part, you know, just kind of thinking about things, see, see where we can be more successful. And then we'll go into a hands-on part. We'll be doing um, skills, victim drags, uh, removal techniques, uh, split searching, VES, things like that. And then we'll be doing two live fire scenarios that are full blown. Uh, we'll be teaming up with the engine company class and uh, kind of doing um, some scenarios that way too. So in that class, that 10 hours, you're going to work. Nice. You're going to get the knowledge. You're going to get a chance to apply the knowledge that you learned and see how it truly works um, in as realistic as a scenario as we can create. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to take that back to your department. But the biggest thing is to understand like everybody's staffing levels are different especially in suburban life, right? Um, which most of us face. Tactics are local. Tactics are local. So, you know, obviously we've heard this before, conditions drive tactics. Well, obviously if we're doing a, a drill with three people, because that's what we have, that may not be reality for you. You might ride a two-man engine. So you're going to have to figure out how to take what you learned and apply that into a practical application of where you work, you know, and that's really truly the challenge. So we hope to be able to set people up for success with that. I think one of the um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. You, even from this morning, we did some high-rise drills with mutual aid companies, and um, you know the success of any incident, regardless of manpower, is people knowing their role and their seat. So many times, um, I wouldn't say so many times, but maybe generally, everybody wants to analyze somebody else's role or position: company officer, the chief, uh, captain. Why is he making that decision? Whatever, right? When the reality is, if, if we want to be successful and apply things that you're talking about, they're going to learn the things in your class where, as a nozzleman, like listening to Kyle's weekly scrap, I picked up a ton of stuff out of that. And it, and it reminded me the nuances that I maybe didn't know how to articulate like he did. Right. But you teach, like maybe in your hands-on portion, where people, if they know their role well, that's going to be one of the main contributing factors combined with the officer officering well. The nozzleman, being a good nozzleman, the backup guy, sticking to that discipline and, and not wanting to jump into the burn room or the immediate IDLH or whatever you want to call it. Sure. You know? yeah. So knowing, picking up those nuances and knowing those roles, I think, is, is absolutely critical. And you know, conferences, that's, that's that place for us to do that. So many people want to come to conferences. I've been around them for a minute now, and I watch people. people are, sometimes people are afraid to fail. But that's the thing. You come here so you can fail in this environment so we can bring success when we get out there in the field by hopefully applying some of these nuances that we're being taught. Sure. You know? um, and we talked about FDTN earlier. In, in my opinion in my book, that's probably one of the best things you could possibly insert yourself into. When you go to 40 working structure fires, even though it's in a Connex box, you know, they're, they're pushing the limits. Uh, in a week, you get a huge amount of experience. Is it real world? No, but it's the next best thing. So this is the next best thing for a lot of people to come here well, and, and get these experiences. It, it's good that you said that because realistically where we're at in today's fire service, especially when we're facing staffing issues and things like that, or maybe long response areas uh, where your next due is, is far out, we got to be good at being force multipliers. 
you know, using what we got and, and, and accomplishing that same task if we had, you know, more personnel to do because ultimately the citizens don't know any better, right? Mm -hmm. They just they just know the fire department's supposed to do stuff. And, and if you're not doing it, they're like, why are you not doing it? Unfortunately, you know, I hate to say it, you know, there's places in this country that make a lot of fires. Great. Awesome. Not taking anything away from them, but majority of us, we're just not making as many fires as we used to. Right? That's, that's not reality for a lot of people. So the best thing we can do is create realistic training to set them up for success um, based off of our experiences. Your, yours mm -hmm. will be different than mine, and Nick's will be different than mine and Corley's. You know? But when we're all together and we can share those experiences with the students and they can take a little bit from each instructor and, and build their grab bag, so to speak, um, I, I just don't think that's something that you, you can really replace especially if they're not fortunate enough to work in a place where they're getting that experience on a pretty consistent basis. Right on. No, you said it best. Uh, the, the citizen's expectation is come save my life, come save my shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And whether we make fires or whether we don't, our mindset has to be we're going to find the training that's going to prepare us to do that expectation. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, we gotta, if you don't push yourself in training, you're, you're going to fail on the fire ground, bottom line. Um, you know, this, this conference is just one of many that – Hopefully, try to provide some high, you know, high speed, hard charging guys to hopefully push guys a little bit to, to get out of their out of their comfort zone, fail a little bit, right? Make mistakes, learn. Um, that's the whole the whole premise behind. It should be the whole premise behind training is not to do what we're good at, right? That's anybody can do that. Let's focus on the stuff that maybe I'm not as comfortable at and make myself better by getting out of my comfort zone and getting out of my bubble and pushing myself to be better. So, you know, this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, when we're talking about uh, specifically the suburban and or um, less than ideal staffing situations the bottom line is you don't get to control you know as a firefighter even as a captain I'm not making decisions on how many guys I have on my truck right I don't get to make a decision on you know whether I have two guys on a rig that day three guys on a rig four guys whatever uh, that's above uh, my pay grade literally um, and unfortunately you know we can make excuses when we get on the fire ground or we can do what we can figure out a way to be successful with what we have and that's you know, that's what we have to do. And the only way you're going to be able to do that, you're going to have to learn how to be, you know, make the most out of your situation through through training, through preparation, through, you know, mental and physical uh, conditioning, right? So that's uh, that's that's what this kind of stuff should be about is, is hopefully getting guys to, you know, step outside of that comfort zone and, and learn. And part of that is not just the hands-on training and the, and the lectures. It's doing what we're doing right now, right? Sitting around, talking shop, you know, networking with guys in this conference, right? So we have... We have a lot of a lot of good brothers that are down here right now this week. They have a lot of great experiences they can share with you, you know, and that's that's a huge resource to guys, you know, networking, having a beer with a guy that, you know, hey, I'm from Florida, you're from Georgia, this guy's from, you know, Oklahoma or whatever, and we can sit down and we can share, hey, in your experience, what what's yeah, you know, what's what have you seen that works for you, right? And 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 pick each other's brain a little bit. So I think that's an undersold part of the job sometimes is some of the best learning happens after hours in the parking lot or over beers around the, a pool or whatever so um, it's, it's a full experience it really is and, and, and guys that come in and they're all in I think you get it you see it but it's trying to get your you know get guys that maybe have never done something like this to come out and say hey you know hey man I really had a good time you know and damn I you know I worked my ass off but I also learned how to take something back to my department that hopefully can make me more successful when I climb on my rig with two guys on the rig Sure. It's a, uh, what did Kyle say uh, the other day? It was um, keep up the fight against accidental success. Yes. Man, that resounded with me when I heard that. 
thought, man, because I don't know about you guys. Uh, I can certainly speak for myself. I fight against apathy in all kinds of different ways. I was even talking to some guys today about it after, after drill, uh, the fight against apathy, because I, I told them this. I said, at the end of the day, all due respect to people who love medical. I'm not discounting that. I work at a fire department. I don't work at an EMS department. So whereas the majority of what we do is medical, and we're paramedics, okay, we accomplish that task. We do that well because we have all these reps. What the public expects when we roll out, right, they expect us to be experts at firefighting, yet we tend to forget that because not, I would say the majority of suburban and maybe rural setting America are not going to fires every single day. So that it's easy to be lulled into that, man, that next alarm. Man, you don't need your gear, bro. We've been here three times, right? No, nah, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't worry. It's not a fire. Oh, it's not an extrication. Don't put your gear on. And, and, and we get lulled into this, this apathy and it's this constant fight against it. And I, and I told the guys today, hey, get outside of your bubble. what you said. Get outside of your bubble. Like we, we are blessed to be in an area where we have five to six conferences a year with some of the best minds in the business coming through here. We're very lucky to have that. You know, and and I, I encourage the guys that I work with, hey, hey, we bought the CFT uh, 100, or I think is what it is. Yeah. So uh, I, I told everyone on my shift, one, invest in yourself with one thing. And the thing that's been in my mind lately is the whole feed yourself concept. Do you guys have guys in your job that don't do anything unless the department pays for you to go, right? Or provides it to you or spoon feeds it spoon to feeds you? Spoon feeds it, right. <laughs> Like, I'm not fit, but, you know, I still got to feed myself to survive. It's no different on this job. And I think as we feed ourselves and we come and meet like-minded brothers, right, you get motivated, you get excited, you hear stories from other places that remind you the core of what we do is to prepare to be good firefighters, to do that job well, because that's what the public expects the fire department to be experts at. Yes. Not not starting an IV, all due respect, <laughs> to paramedics. No, or, it, or catching a tube or whatever that is. Okay, you know, that's great. At the end of the day, I will always work at a fire department, and I will promote being a fire department first. If everything had to crumble, the last thing it's going to be is hose and ladders off our rigs. You know, everything else can fall by the wayside. And we got to remind our friends, especially trying to – get people to come that don't normally come to stuff like this and say man come join us listen it's not what you think just come here and get you excited about the job again yeah and to, to kind of add to what you said again not take anything away from ems but reality is like we work in an environment where people are better at stretching iv tube and they are fire hose plain and simple i mean that that's just that's just it these days and, and the concept is well we don't do that all that much and what I urge everybody to think is, look, whether you like it or not, when you, when you get your EMT or you get your paramedic or whatever, you are saying that you met this certain standard, right? Great. So you go to a medical call and you say this. This guy's having chest pain. Oh, he's 34 years old, man. He's probably not having a heart attack. Don't put him on the cardiac monitor. Don't do any of that stuff. Not going to happen. Seen this a thousand times. And he dies from a heart attack. What happens? That's negligence, man. Like mm-hmm. that, that has significant ramifications, right? Discipline. We do that same thing on the fire ground. What happens? Kind of gets swept under the rug. There's not really much. And, it, and it's coming. It's coming. It's coming, though. That, and my, that's my where words. I'm going. It's not far away. It's not far away because 
people, especially the citizens, are starting to hold us accountable. Well, yeah, when the fucking yeah, you know? cops are jumping everybody's through windows and pulling on. people out. Everybody's I mean, holding you know? HD camera and right. filming everything you're doing. Everybody's got a so, cell phone, and you're watching Joe Blow Citizen in, in no gear jump in a window and make a grab, yeah. and then the firefighters standing out yelling two in, two out, I can't go in. I right. mean, Look, these, point, these guys give. cover my first due. They watch after my family when I'm at work. Um, if I see a video of these guys fumbling the ball, they're going to hear it. And if someone dies, I'm owning it, like, period. My mom works in the, in the city. I, I uh, lives in the city I work in, and family live outside my district. It's the same thing. It's coming. It's a matter of time before retired firefighters, chiefs, et cetera, uh, are going to be experts in these cases. And I think that's a healthy thing. I think we need that stress. Ray McCormick said, I don't know, probably – Five, six years ago, he was talking about the concept of fireman recertification, firefighter, right? Where you come and you recertify it like you do anything else. We're stretching lines, we're throwing ladders. Go. Yep. You know, and how does that look? I mean, I don't know how that's fleshed out, but I like the idea. Well, and that's the great thing about these conferences. You get those discussions started so we can figure out how it looks, so we can yeah. keep the discussion going on. We are not an EMS service that sometimes goes to fires. Right. And we can beat the drum to keep that from taking over. Look, we're, we're at dinner tonight, right? And, and we were having a conversation, and, and Mike Galliano said, said it best, really. You will live with the uh, consequences of your decisions for the rest of your life, period, mm-hmm. and a discussion. And, and, and I don't really know how else to put it, but that's how serious our job is. We make life and death decisions for people and, and split seconds, and you have to be prepared for that. You know, like... The idea that we're just going to show up and, and miraculously figure this out when we get there, to me, I mean, that's bullshit. Like, we can't, we can't operate that way. That, that's not a way to, to succeed in anything, right? Um, we have to get better at evaluating what we do, what works, because validating what we do is just as important as disproving it, right? So, again, like, they do lots of studies on medication. And when they find out that maybe this probably isn't the best thing, it gets removed from, from your you know, multitude of medications you're able to draw from. So why are we not doing the same thing? When we come to these things and we learn things from people, like it needs to be okay that we go back and we challenge things and say, hey, listen, maybe there's a way that oh, we can do this better, right? And, and here's a way. And, and so often it's like, looked as a negative thing like oh shut up what do you know like now you're going to try and tell us what to do you've been to one fire conference and and that's really not what it is at all it's it's the difference between change and enhancement realistically if i want to change something what i'm going to say is hey this is no longer working we got to find a different way to do this if i want to enhance it i'd say hey for for x amount of time this has worked very very well however we can do it better and I think that's where people get lost. Like when, when guys come back from these things fired up, like ready to go, is they automatically take that as a negative thing. Like, oh, so we're doing it wrong. Right. And that's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is we have a standard. And we should always aim to exceed that standard at all costs. And it's okay to say maybe this isn't the best way. You know, absolutely, man. I mean, the bottom line is we, we have got to – be better at uh, uh, holding our, ourselves accountable, right? You know, we are our brother's keeper, bottom line. I, I get so tired of this. That's not my problem mindset. Um, you know, we've all seen it. You know, it's not my problem. Oh, you know, someone else is, uh, it's about my pay grade or whatever you want to say. You know, all that stuff. I mean, and, and there, to some degree, there's some truth to that. But 
I think sometimes it gets used very loosely, like, oh, that's just an excuse not to do anything, right? Well, it's not my problem. That's not my, you know, uh, that's HF's problem. Well, you know what? You found the problem, so fix it, right? Um, the hose wasn't loaded correctly. Well, I'm going to make HF load it because they screwed it up. Well, when you get that fire in two in the morning and you have that attitude that it's not my problem, and it, all of a sudden someone dies because you can't get the hose line in operation efficiently and effectively, you know, what, what, <laughs> You know where where does the accountability you know start and stop? You know what I'm saying at some point we have to we have to take accountability for ourselves in our own actions, like we said at the beginning, mm -hmm. and say, hey, you know what? It's okay to go back and say, hey guys, we sucked. Like bottom line, we got to do better. And and I, I hate the whole critique where everybody gets a pat on the back, and even though things could have gone completely haywire, and everybody gets a pat on the back and a high five, and you know let's go back and sing kumbaya and drink a cup of coffee at the firehouse, like. We have to be honest with ourselves because the only way we're going to get better is if we come back and have those brutal you know, conversations. Here's the thing. Give credit where credit's due. If guys busted their ass and did a great job, by all means, give them kudos. But don't go back when guys fumble the ball and, and high-five them because what that does is that instills a sense of, oh, I, I can get away with it. I, get, I keep getting away with it. I keep getting away with it. I keep sucking. I'm the weak link on my team. And no one ever says anything. So what does it do when we just keep giving them high-fives and lollipops out to everybody that, that – screws up it instills a sense of okay I'm, I'm not that bad i'm not that bad so i would you know i would my challenge to guys is this like like look own it man if you suck at something hey i screwed that up even if you don't suck it maybe you know you just had a bad day and you screwed up own it you know and this is something i've I found you know as a, as a young officer i've had to learn how to own my 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 screw-ups because it's easy to get in the mindset that i don't need to I don't want to like you know expose myself that maybe I didn't I didn't do as good as I should have done because I'm supposed to be leading from the front. Well, all you do if you don't own your screw ups, you know, in, in my opinion, is is instill a lack of distrust because people realize you're not going to be honest with yourself. Why are you going to be honest with them? So, um, spot on, bro. We got we got to do better at you know we're real good about recertifications with EMS and holding people accountable. And you screw up, you lose your job, lose your license. But yet we can screw up on the fire ground, and it doesn't seem you know, as a as a fire service as a whole. There's not a lot of accountability. On well, that it's, it's uncomfortable, so, right? You know, uh, everybody wants accountability until accountability is held. Mm, I've discovered that um, in in many different ways in my life, and luckily I have an older brother that keeps me accountable in a lot of ways. Um, and, 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 it gi that. and it gives you a bit of perspective. But one of the things that, which is Shannon, by the way, and one of the things that he says. And that's really helped me in my career uh, just to be an open learner and to drop the ego, as he says. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So I'm hitting 20 in May. Um, <laughs> certainly don't know the half about the job. I feel like the di deeper dive I get, yeah, it's getting a little gray, too. Mm. The deeper dive I get, the more, the more I figure out what I don't know. But it's at the point in the career when you're talking about change and you're talking about tactics and, and, and all this conversation surrounds and revolves around people's ego and their willingness to admit what they don't know. Sure. People don't want to fail because they don't, as an officer, as an example, I'll use me as an example, coming to this conference as a battalion chief on a hands-on bit. I, would, I, I have a choice to make when I go to your, your uh, class, whether or not to allow myself to fail, even if it's in front of my peers. Right. But how else are we going to know what we don't know? And, and, and if I shut you out because you're so-and-so from place X and you don't have 20 years on the job like I got. Now, well, you know, I'm the one losing any kind of benefit 
of the learning there. Sure. I, we, we all have to be mature enough, I think, to absorb information, take it in, and apply what applies, and put the rest over here. You know? Um, I, it, there's other websites and things that bust chops and that um, <laughs> that you guys probably pick up what I'm talking about. But he, here's the premise of why those things exist. Because in the same breath I'm saying that, or other people that we talked about this just a bit ago that want to self-promote and they want to do something and put themselves on a platform, take pictures of themselves on working jobs and places south of here while someone is on the phone asking, right, to get in. Yeah. Like, I, I'm burning up. Or look at me here or look at me there. The reason you get your balls busted is because you're putting it out there, trying to get that attention, resorting back to self, you know. Yeah, and I, I think when we come to the time where we're able to drop egos and we're able to chop, stop competing because we're all type A, and we're willing to open our minds and learn and be humble, I think that's when you're going to see legit change in us and then in those around. Because at some point, you rise in an organization of influence. And I think if you start with a consciousness of my reputation starts on day one, so when I get to this position of leadership, I have forms of respect because I treated people right, you know, and as a constant learner, you're now changing that organization. Easier said than done for you guys that work in very large organizations. Change in my organization and Nick's could come, and probably yours now, you're in Venice, right? Yep. Could come, like, in, in six months. It's one of the beauties of being a small organization. Change can come quickly. But some places it's not. And, and, and quite frankly, sometimes change comes when you promote and um, move up and able to get that wider sphere of influence for a positive impact. And the springboard. I don't want to cut you off. No, you're good. You're the good. springboard on it is it's something I've wrestled with recently and you know, wrestled with or thought about or contemplated, however you say it, is you talked about ego, and it comes down to implementing that change comes down so many times to being right or being effective. Mm-hmm. And so, and sometimes they can be the same thing, but sometimes you have to look at the two and say, yeah. which one do I want to be? Mm-hmm. And when you can get your ego out of the way, you can realize, okay, I can be wrong, and now I can be effective. Great. So. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing we got to remember, like, water boils from the bottom, right? So from day one coming in, like, the question is, everybody everybody thinks of a leader as, like, oh, i got to have a white shirt or bugles or things like that, and that's just not true. I mean, you could be a leader at any level, um, even even the probationary guy. I mean, I, I've worked with some probationary firefighters in the past 16 years that will blow you away, who work harder than guys with, you know, 20 years on the job. Who, who have a hunger and desire and willingness to learn and, and want to make a difference, and they just get browbeat every chance they can by guys who no longer care. And, you know, re- realistically, like, that, that's a real problem, yeah. you know? So if, if you stay committed to your vision, right, and you, and you don't really kind of, like, get beat by the circumstances you're around and, and you're disciplined and you stay motivated, man, that change happens right at your level, with all the people around you, and then guess what? One day you're going to promote, right? And when you do that, all those people down at that level still have all those values that you instilled by watching you, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to still continue that. And now you're in a different place where you can affect change within your organization. And all those people, as they promote, will do the same thing, right? So this is something that, that takes time, unfortunately. And I think we're in a, a real unique time now where we have a lot of young, hungry, eager firefighters. Yes that are ready for that challenge, and they're, they're saying enough. I don't think anyone walked through the door of a firehouse, correct me if I'm wrong, and said, man, I just want to sit on a recliner and chill <laughs> and do nothing. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. excited to get on a fire truck. And, and you, you know, 20 years later, I'm still excited. Unfortunately, I'm not 
on a fire truck anymore, preferably an engine. Um, but you know, the <laughs> excitement is still there, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm still excited. Like I still love to go to fires and, and good calls in that. But yeah, you're right. People get beat down to a point where they almost give up. And I think these kind of events and conferences and things for those of us wise enough to invest in ourselves and feed ourselves right we come to this we spend money to be energized to muddle through some of the negativity oh, yeah. and hopefully bring them one two three other people you know kind of like church you know what i mean like yes. you go to church and you you're recruiting people you're right you're discipling and that is no different Ooh. than what we're doing here in right. a sense we want to bring those apathetic naysayers i want those people coming here so they could hear the likes of a lot of the guys that you brought in to teach and, and maybe even people way outside of that spectrum. I find it crazy in 2021 when people don't even know the fundamental stuff about the fire service with the information available at your fingertips. Right. It blows my mind. That's you know? four hours Not that you have TikTok. to nerd out on it, but, dude, if, if you don't know anything about flow path, what, where have you been? Making TikTok you know? videos, bro. That's like maybe TikTok. <laughs> making it doing, on bro. hitting hard from your i don't know <laughs> snapchat you know uh but yeah there's those element of people we got to capture them before they're spoiled by uh what i would just call just forms of negativity from people because for whatever reason we tend to beat our own selves down in some respect for not falling into whatever framework or where we're from on what what you should be you know and we're no different in our organization yeah, every, everyone discriminates kind of where you're from and sort of the background and the culture, you know. Right. But uh, this kind of stuff for me is is energizing. I get to speak. I love talking shop and that and you get to connect with different people. I mean, it's benefited me beyond, I mean, anything I could put into words for my career to be affiliated. I want to jump in. We've had a positive conversation, so I don't want to de derail it, but I want to involve the audience and just bring in that uh, Devin Craig chimed in and said, damn, that's a table. And, yeah, Duffy is short. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Funny. And apparently Duffy gets a lot of love because Tyler Whitfield said, can we start a GoFundMe to give Duffy some money to grow his mustache? <laughs> Nobody wants to see no, that, bro. No, no. Because I'm going to look like Chris over there in a yeah, minute. No. Like, that's, that's just I mean, can't happen. I'm looking for other ones. pretty good. Devin Craig <laughs> also said, big. why can't the Fire Academy be more like FDTN? Uh, right. It's a great on. question, man. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Tyler Whitfield said, taking a nugget from every class that you can apply to your department and implement that into your typical expectations to make your role on the fire ground as proficient and efficient as possible. Mm, expectations, that's a good one. Yeah. So while, he's, while Corley's scrolling, I, I just want to mention one thing. We're really good at one thing in the fire service. I mean, like really, really, really good at it. And what that is is telling people why our job is so great. But we need to stop telling people why our job is so, so great and actually show, show them, them why this job is great, yeah. right? And that really, like, when we cross that boundary and we physically show them, man, I mean, that's that's the most powerful impact to our, our profession that I think we can make because now we're enabling people. We're giving them that fire, that motivation, that drive to, to spring forward. And somewhere along the way, people lose it. Right, that's where you get your bitterness and stuff from, and well, it's know, easier to bitch about stuff than it is to get up and do something and, it, and try it to make is. it better. But you know, you it know, takes more if, energy. If you're going to so. sit here and you're going to call yourself an educator or a trainer or something like that, you have to hold yourself to that same level of accountability and understand that you have to make yourself vulnerable. If I'm going to tell you why this job's so great and I'm going to show you why this job's so great, then I have to allow myself to fail in front of you too. I have to because I don't yeah. know everything. Yeah. Nobody does. 
right? We're all learning every single day. Every job we make, every call we run, it, it's all learning experience. When you fail in front of the people that you're mentoring, that creates a bond. Mm-hmm. That, that, that creates a unity because now it's a growing process that you guys are growing through together. You're a real person. You know what I'm saying? In front of them. And it's okay for them to fail. Yeah. Absolutely. And it should be. And learn it should from. Be. Fail, yep. look, failure has this like negative annotation, and I hate it because it's not. It's not negative at all. Okay? It just means you got a little bit more work to do, and you learned something. You learned something that you didn't know before, and you got to have to work through it, and you're going to figure out a solution, and that's fine. And the next time you may not be successful, and that's okay too. But eventually, you're going to go through these processes, and you're going to realize what it takes to be successful in that thing. And then when I come to you, the person that I'm mentoring, guess what? I I know how you feel. I've been there before. This is what I found out. I'm here to help you. Yes. Right. And and that's really where we need to be shifting our focus to instead of these bickering matches that we have um, amongst each other over the really, like, things that don't matter. And this mindset shift, too. We fail on the training ground. This is where we fail. Right. And this is where we go out there and fail so that it, we don't fail on the fire ground. Yeah, yeah you know, absolutely. Or at least try to minimize by putting in the reps, the sets, the reps. I just think it's funny. We always want to, you know, we throw the analogy out there, you know, athletes and, and all these high-performing teams, whether it's, you know, military units, you know, whatever. Um, and we want to throw those analogies out there to the public, right? And we want to build that kind of, you know, um, persona when we're selling ourselves to the public, right? And, you know, what, what, are these, what do those units do? What do those teams do? You know, how many times do you – I mean, I, I tell the guys all this, all, you know, this, when we're training, it's like, oh, man, we're just stretching hose again. We're stretching hose. We're stretching hose. We're searching. We're, you know, we're doing basics. Basics win, bottom line. You know, Tom Brady just won, what, how many Super Bowls is this for Brady? Good like God. 52, I think. Jeez, I mean, just, just give best. him the damn trophy already. Let's just move on to next, <laughs> next season, right? So, but, I mean, the, the guy's, you know, performing better than guys half his age. He's still winning Super Bowls. And you think after 20 years he knows how to throw a football? I say this all the time. I mean, I, this is like a pet peeve of mine, but it's like it's the truth. He goes out there, and what does he do every single day? He trains. He prepares his mind, his body. He looks at the plays. He, he still goes out and makes the, the reps, right? He still goes out and trains. So how much – I mean, you know, if you've got a guy that's been doing it for 20 years and has been extremely successful and kicking ass, you know, how hard is it to tell guys, hey, guys, we're going to go out and stretch every tour. Yeah. You know, we're going to stretch something somewhere – we're going to stretch. You know, I think it's the guys, what is it, uh, the guys out there in Portland doing the daily stretch. They do their daily stretch, right? So, I mean, how, you know, they, they get a medical call. What do they do? Go stretch. Hey, go throw a ladder. Let's look at this door for a minute. You got a weird door. Let's talk about forceful entry. It, it's just that, that, that Rolodex, that constant repetition yes. that builds success. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing sexy. You know, this stuff here is, I mean, all this is is reinforcing and hopefully giving guys some, some energy and pumping them back up yeah. to go out and do the stuff they should be doing year in and year out, day in and day out, shift in and shift out. Uh, success isn't built in little bursts, you know, of, of energy and, and surges of, of, you know, passion. It's, it's built with consistency and discipline. I think Pablo, Pablo, you're sitting in the crowd. You had a post the other day about discipline, right? Motivation gets you started. Someone, someone put it on there, like, motivation gets you started. Dude, it's one, one no, spot, no, spot on. I mean, seriously, I mean, motivation gets you started, right? That gets you to the start, the, the start line, and discipline gets you to the finish line. That's, I think that was a quote. Oh, yeah. I'm loving it. I'm loving so it. Here, here's the thing about that, too. Like, everybody's heard of Malcolm Gladwell, right? It, it's that outlier's book, 10,000 hours. Has anybody actually physically done the math on how long that actually is? It, it equates to five and a half years to master something. Five and a half years. 
if that's not dedication and discipline, I don't know what else is, right? So when we look at that, that that's a long time. Some people are intimidated by that, but we can break things down into to smaller segments that are easily digestible, yeah. and, and that's where that like that one percent advantage comes in, right? One percent better every day, three sixty five days in a year. That's three hundred sixty five days or three hundred sixty five percent better at the end of that year. Now you multiply that by five and a half years, and you tell me how damn good you're going to be at the end of it. Yeah. It's about staying focused who, and dedicated to who's that said ten ten. PSI pressure 100 percent of the time. I just heard that recently. Yeah, 10, ten pounds of pressure. Kurt's always said. I think. It, yeah, uh, it's it's. Someone else said it too. I, I just heard it this week in Orlando. What? Who was? Yeah. Fisher. 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 Yeah. Rob Fisher. Yeah, that's that's is very true. Pressure 100 percent of the time. Yeah, and I can't say that I do that 100 percent of the time. I don't. I don't know anybody that does really. I mean, that's a lot of dedication. It it it, it is. I find it humorous this comparison to special operations. Now, where we sit, your audience may not know. Where we're sitting in the panhandle, you have some of the most high-performing Air Force military that exists. Air Force Special Operations for the entire country is right here at Hoover Field. Some of the most accomplished men. Yeah, I know an EOD friend of mine. He's like way up here. But he's so type A and driven. And to think to compare myself to that, I'm like, ah, oh, it's not even close. But there is an intensity we're trying to translate of how we should look and perceive our own job and our own work. The difference in the military is, and Navy SEALs, for example, and the Osama, I said Obama the other day, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the Osama raid um, was those dudes drilled, I think it was for six months, and they built an exact replica, and they drilled and drilled and drilled on that one thing. So when they went to battle, it was only nuanced differences they had to make. We don't have the luxury. So I don't dare compare myself to a SEAL. Not only that, these dudes are at a, they're a different mind plane. But our job is just as important. Um, what do they say? You know, you can never train enough for a job that could kill you, right? Um, it's a little bit dramatic, but I think there's a sliver of truth to that, that people need to have that in the back of their mind. You know, when you, when you go and train and drill, like today we're drilling on high-rise stuff, here is an ultra-low frequency, uh, ultra-high-risk because of our location on the coast. So when it goes down, we do need to at least know our basics and know them well. Stretching, communication, responsibilities, roles, etc. You know, and when we do these drills, we realize, man, we're getting soft on that. Because I've always said, we got to know probably about, give or take a thousand things proficiently, you know, because we got to be a, a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, so it's a daunting task to get in those reps and those hours and those sets and things. Um, but I think one of the ways that I have accomplished a few of the fundamental reps is in the mental game. There's, there is starting to be a lot more talk about the mental game of the job. You know, Rick George and these guys are doing different, you know, to bring in light to stuff that military has known for a long time. People in sports know for a long time. So as an example of a mental game for me is stretching lines now – don't judge me. We're in a pre-connected, triple-layer world. Right, wrong, or different. That's the world I live in. But in my mind, I have stretched around obstacles with the 150 and the 200 countless times in my mind. Because I could, as a fireman, I couldn't go pull an engine out as a three-year guy, right, and put a line on the ground. I could, but you don't because the culture didn't really support it at the time. But in my mind... We had run a fire or a drill, and I'm just, like, thinking over, thinking over. And now that I've moved into the position I'm in as a battalion, 
certainly not running fires and commanding fires every day, but I'm, John could probably speak to this too. I'm burning every building down coming through the block in my district. Right. And when they do hit, I'm like, okay, I've been here right. to a certain extent. It doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem, but, but it helps maybe bridge those gaps in our training and lack of experience. Yeah, that's a great point. What you got, Corley? I was just going back towards a mindset in my head as you talked. And I don't want to – I, I really hesitate to say this out loud because I don't want to come across wrong. I got this from Chris Tobin talking to me one time in his Dare to Save pro. He said, give me a high school football team, some bunker gear and apparatus, and I'll put out bread and butter fires all day long. Because that's not what we're talking about training for. Yeah. You know, a lot of us – a lot of the naysayers, you say, why would you train? Why would you do that? Why would you go out and learn that? Why would you go to a conference? A lot of them might – probably will make it through their careers and never – be put in a position to make a difference. But I am I refuse to live with that if I am one of those who's put in a position to save a life and my lack of preparation is what would make the difference. Does that make sense? Makes total it, sense. It is the mindset of Nick Ladine, he's teaching tomorrow, correct? Uh, yeah. He is, yep, Nick yeah. and, and Dustin. He wrote an article that I love and it's thirty years for thirty seconds. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it is, how do you keep that mindset? How do you fight that complacency, that apathy that yeah. DJ was talking about? Yeah. How do you fight that apathy, that fight against complacency? I'm going to stay into this game for 30 years for the chance that in, for, for 30 seconds it will make a difference. And that is ultimately the mind game that we have to that's win. Good. And that's what these conferences are. I always say it's not a matter of it's, if it's win. Right. People, oh, man, I live in a small town. We're never going to fill in the blank. That won't <laughs> happen here. You know, yeah, it, it just might. Yeah. You don't, you know, the, some yeah, of the worst experiences come from places that don't have a lot of jobs that live in a, in a world of apathy. Listen, when thinking I came, it's never going to happen. When you came on up in, in the Panhandle, and, and this is just this is, I remember you know when I first got on the job, you know guys saying ah you know you know grabs and stuff like that. That's not happening. Ves. I mean, it wasn't really that big of a thing even 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. And in just in the last few months, I mean, just to, to show the the difference of a, you know seconds and, and minutes, and I mean, how many how many in the last year in the Panhandle up here? How many, you know, four in Escambia in what, four in in, six months, in six months, um, you know, successful grabs. And I mean, suburban America in in suburban America. So you were seeing more and more numbers to support that and the work that uh, Brian Brian Brush and some of the guys is really bringing that to light that we are actually we we are making a difference. We are making a difference every day across America. And it's not just in the big cities. It's in small towns. It's in suburban coastal communities like this. It's in Venice. It's in Fort Walton Beach. You know, it, it's wherever you're at. And, and it doesn't matter, big department or small department. The bottom line is when we get off that truck, it absolutely matters what the hell we do. It matters that we can get our shit on fast. We can mask up. You know, I'm sorry, you know, sitting in the, there's nothing worse to me like, like watching guys take a minute and a half, two minutes to put a right. mask on. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the public's watching that. They've got their camera phone out and they're going, you know, people start making comments like, man, this takes forever for them to get water, right? Like that stuff, it, it, it adds up and, and it matters. Go ahead, brother. I got a question. You're, you're on, you do special ops with Marion? You are, okay. Well, Pablo, I know you're, you're kind of getting into some of that stuff. How many guys, how many guys are doing like special ops stuff like you saw or stuff like that? Let me ask you this. First of all, how many hours of, of training? I mean, just, you know, not just initial training, but to keep that stuff up so you don't forget it. I mean, just, it, it just never stops, right? Let me ask you this. How much of that stuff, really, when you break it down, is just good fundamental knowledge of systems, whether it's rope systems, 
you know, vehicle rescue, trench, whatever. I mean, how much of that is really, when it comes down to it, really basic stuff, you just do really, really well. And you build from fundamental basic stuff. So even the special ops stuff, you know, we, it, it's sexy, it looks cool, and, and, it, and, it's, and it is. It, it makes a difference. But the bottom line is it starts with fundamentals. Because if you can't tie a few, <laughs> a few knots, you're not going to just miraculously put some badass rope system together, right? It starts with fundamentals and basics. And that's what guys fail to realize. I mean, it, it is. It's time. It is absolutely putting the time in. And you can sit there, you can make excuses, or you can stop bitching. Oh, thank you, brother, for the, for the cup, by the way. Don't bitch. I tell guys this all the time. Get out and bust your ass. Put the work in. If you want to get better, you can control that. You can control whether... You, you're good at your job or not. Oh, uh, we got Pablo Here on the mic. the mic. Yeah. Is it on? Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> so we're talking about, you know, motivation. So I got something for you. Motivation over preparedness, right? Yeah. Or <clears throat> motivation, or excuse me, discipline over motivation. So this is a little play on what Shane said earlier, because I'm just going to piggyback on it um, about the 15 and 25. So just a little, a little extra, a little extra on it. Instead of expecting... I'll tell you the truth. I don't expect. I don't expect uh, victims. I don't expect anything. This is me. This is Pablo Jenner. Is my own opinion. I don't expect anything. I expect to go to work every single day. And I expect to run a fuck ton of calls. And I expect to not sleep. And I expect to maybe not eat. And I expect to run about 20 calls a day because that's what my firehouse runs. And it is what it is. But I am prepared every single day to be able to throw a ladder, to be able to stretch lines, to be able to tie a system, to be able to, to, because every single day I prepare for it. Preparation over expectation. Discipline over motivation. Motivation fails. Tell me how motivation treats you at, at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're on your 15th run, the, 15th run of the day. Motivation fails, but discipline still kicks in to put your gear on, to treat the patient right, do the right et cetera, thing. et cetera, to do the right thing, right? So just, you know, food for thought. So it's like, like I said, discipline over motivation, preparedness over expectation. You prepare every single day, and to quote uh, Robbie Ramirez, man, one of my one of my mentors, you can legitimately train your mind to think you're going to a fire every single day. My name is Pablo Jenner. I run a fire every day of my career. Yeah, man, that, like they say in the South, that'll preach. That's what they say. <laughs> nice. That's so, good. So we're talking about preparation, and I don't want to leave this out. So one of the things that, that Chief Brush was able to bring to us recently over his, his um, analysis is every two hours and 20 minutes, firefighters in this country are making a grab. Okay, there's 24 hours in a day. If you do the math, that equates to just about 11 grabs per day, give or take. All right? When you made your grab, correct me if I'm wrong, you and your crew trained on that almost that same exact scenario that day, did you not? Yeah, you guys were up for uh, tick, tick tips. Tick tips. Yep. Yeah, we. I mean, literally the night before we. Now, now, tell me this: Did you think that same day that you would do what you trained on? Uh, absolutely not. But there is a few unique factors that kind of built up to that. As part of a little bit, when people ask me to share, I, it's not really just about that call. It's about the kind of the the preparation and the culture surrounding uh, the mindset going into it. You know, that 48, we worked 48 So that 48, when we came on, that was day two, uh, Valentine's morning. Um, the first 48, we reviewed the 
Polk County incident, which probably many of us have, and, and I, no digs against anyone working in Polk County because it's, it's a massive challenge down in that area in some parts, you know. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, they go to fires. Like, like that, that area they, is not yeah, immune to jobs and different kind of work. But we had reviewed that, and um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a motivational kind of guy I try to be because that's what we all wanted to work for. So I try to project that as a captain uh, going into knowing we're going to face that. And that was kind of what I'm explaining through expectations. Like I'm, I'm expecting, I'm, I'm preparing for that thing that may never happen. Sure. You know, but I'm keeping it. You talk about basics and there's one of the things that we talk about. Nothing was specialized in that. And it was all knee jerk reaction within, within seconds of decision making. But anyways, um, that morning I had said to the crew, we we run a crew of four. We happen to be crew of three, right? Happens every time. We're crew of three that day. And I said, listen, we're going to review this. We went over it. And I said, this will never happen. I said, we will go hard, and we will make a way in, and we're going to do our job. And I kind of gave this little speech, Ra. Never, ever thinking you're really going to maybe put it to use. But like I said, you just never know. It could, it could happen. It could never happen. I've had four at least four other incidences prior to that that were unsuccessful. I pushed as hard as we knew in that context of those situations, and it just didn't work out. Well, there was that one. It was a little bit, little bit of luck. I think a lot a bit of God mixed in, to be quite frankly, and a lot a bit of preparation and culture and mindset prior to that call. To be able to, and when I said earlier, when people know their roles, um, I show an extended video in the class, and there's a little bit of the Nozzleman that was with me, and he does some very fundamental things that I'm proud of. One of them is he correctly bled the line. We don't, we don't bleed the line where we're at. We do like a flow test is like what we call it, right, because he's looking for a few different things. So in the middle of all this, the, the, the view and, and what made the rescue unique was there was like five different views of this thing from cops. The cop is sitting there watching him. And he's just opening the line and just letting it run. And this lady is running. I'm out of the frame because I'm communicating with the driver a couple of the tactical things before we get the window off because we had to reposition. And so he's sitting there flowing the line, and the cop is just like, come on, man, what are you doing? Because in their mind, right. he thinks you should be putting it in that room or whatever he thinks that they should be doing. But it was just that simple, basic, fundamental discipline that made me ultra proud because him taking that five to seven seconds out to do that allowed the driver to set that pump pressure so we got the correct GPM so we could protect our position and ultimately create a livable space where this woman was trapped, where there was, you can't go out the front door. There's not an option, you know? Yeah, all the doors were taken off, weren't they not? It was. It was a vacant building. And it, used to, it was a house. It was a block, yeah, right, vacant, right? And, right. and the irony is we had cops made a grab on a, on a homeless person two years prior to that in a different building on the same lot, and that building was bulldozed, but they left this one up. So what do you think everybody did? Yeah, they just moved everybody right in. moved in here, and it was, yeah, um, when I party. say hoarded, you know, it was hoarded in every sense of the word because this was their home. And so, yeah, all the do- doors were removed. Um, everything was wide open, with the exception of uh, two, two rooms, a front room and then her room, and they were completely boarded up. And your story is completely, to quote my new friend Pablo, uh, preparation over expectation, just 100%. Yeah. And, and it was hitting fundamentals. We had a fire two weeks earlier, and when we got done, um, 
Scott, the nozzleman that was with me, we had talked about it, and he's like, yeah, I mean, because it, it was a trailer fire, and there was a fence, and he stretched, which was totally fine. You know, I had no complaints, no corrections. He didn't like what happened. He's, he thought there was a better way to get over the fence obstacle with the awesome triple air that we run. So uh, we came back to the, I say it sarcastically, flat load, guys. I wish I could we could go flat loads too. But anyways, we come back and, and we set up a fence and we recreate the drill and we run it. And then we time ourselves. And then we time ourselves again. And we probably ran three or four times the next shift through that incident. But working on those fundamentals, I believe, helped him to be able to deviate that night and move the line like he did. You know, because in the video it's clear, like, Scott knows what he's doing. He's whipping back. He's grabbing length. He's walking around the corner. You know, all these little kind of nuanced things that we've been working on. Nothing. It was, it was all fundamental and all basic. But it, it was a, an immediate, you don't have to think about it. And I think, Pablo, that's what you're talking about. Like, you're repping in your mind and you're repping with your hands. It's a combination of both. Like, like we, we're not super busy. Our downtown department station runs about four grand give or take a year split between the two that's not a whole lot of calls but there's days where it's hard man it's it's hard to even just get a quick drill in because if if i'm not giving them something as a battalion to do and it's not calls it's some other sort of fill in the blank things that are taking time but yeah sticking to the basics and repeating these things and not getting complicated i'm a big believer in what i call dumbing it down people don't like to hear that I want my thought process to be three steps or less and virtually everything to get me going in that direction, you know, and then we work as a team to build off of whatever we encounter and hopefully we're making the right decisions. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we fail on the job and we got to admit when we fail on the job. You know, I, I think for my circumstance that night, uh, I was very lucky that, that we had been working together, our particular crew for a couple of years and we had some really tough calls up to that point so we knew how we thought and i i was training the guys now a captain that works with me bobby anderson we were literally training on that scenario tabletops tabletops for weeks leaning up to it and you know what the you know what i told him because i'm engine company mindset and we were riding an engine every time i said every time we're going to stretch the line at the front door we're going to bulldoze our way in and let the next unit get the rescue every single time and I've had people ask me, what do you stretch a line to do a VES? No. No, it's the first time I've ever done that. I've done a few VESs, and you never stretch a line around. But in that particular circumstance, we talked about the conditions, driving, conditions, what I saw. My size up was driven by what I saw. And it was about a seven-second decision, you know. Um, and, and you just kind of get with your gut and go with it. Ended up being successful and, and you know, a little bit lucky, I think. <laughs> That night, but yeah, the other discipline of these guys I'm working with on those foundations and basics, I think, was an absolute key to success in that particular scenario. Yeah, I think, I think, honestly, I mean, anybody who critiques that tactic is, I, I don't know what they're thinking because if we can all agree that the purpose of the the fire attack is support to support the search, that's exactly what happened, right? That line was placed in operation to support your search effort, and it had a successful rescue. Right. Mm-hmm. So there, how are you going to debate that? You know, we, we could say we can, we won't, you know, all, all day long, but, you know, no fire is the same. Right. And, and that's literally how quick this happens is seconds. That's yeah. it. So you got to take that time to make time. And that, that all starts in training, training your mind right, you know, sets and reps, doing all those things. And 
I truly believe after watching your video and, and, and us talking about this a couple times now is that uh, I, don't, I don't think you made a, a irrational decision. I think you acted the way you trained yourself to act, and it was just instinctive, you know, which is what we all aim for. Because you need to be able to look at this. And, and with our modern fire growth now, it's crazy, man. It's, it's literally seconds, not minutes. You know, and, and that's how quick this stuff happens. So you've got to be able to make that decision immediately. And you can't do that unless you've trained for it. I think we overcomplicate sometimes this business and the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people ask me, well, you know, when you're sizing up, did you do the reseo? Did you <laughs> think about it? No. No. Uh, what about the reading smoke? Did you did you see if it was brown or green or laminar or this? And I said, let me tell you what I, I, I was thinking. And, and I've confirmed with other people throughout my career uh, the decision making processes. But frankly, it was it was this easy for me. Um, the smoke is moving fast, so I knew the fire was near. That's all I remembered. And then what puts out fire is water so where we had drilled even me coming off the truck if you watch the video i'm on scene small block structure heavy fire shown from alpha side stretching a line for attack is what i said that's what i meant that's what we were going to do and then i got there and when you combine the intel that you receive and and we would all do the exact same thing shoot i think the cops would have been in the room if they could have got that window open and this would have been probably wouldn't have been a story we're talking about right now but um when you hear someone like verbally yelling in a window that can't get out, you, you know you're going to do whatever you can to protect that position. It wasn't it wasn't a difficult decision. It was I knew that well. This is the only thing that's going to protect her is water. It has nothing to do with transitional attack or anything. But if you a- analyze a little bit of the video too, another thing that Scott does was great. That was super disciplined because we had just trained on this believe it or not, with Ray McCormick when he came through and did some drilling with us, was the exterior attack based off of the, the most recent studies, which was high and vertical as you can, try to hit that lintel and re- rebound all that water. Well, in the video, you see Scott. He's straight up right into this hole as tight as he can get into that roof and just minimally working it back and forth, trying to just put a pause on the situation. That's all you can do. And then, and then you have to get in. You know, like I said, I think the cops would have been in, and we would have had a much bigger problem if, if they would have breached that window. Um, you know, but luckily everything, you know, didn't miss a beat that night, and we were able to have a positive outcome. Um, because one of the things I didn't do is I didn't communicate. I didn't tell command I had a rescue in progress. I didn't say nothing on the radio, and I quite frankly didn't think about it. Yeah. Well, now, and, and just uh just from listening to you talk about it and talk through it, and I, you know, I can't wait to talk more, but uh, you, you, you say reseo, slicers, whatever, you, you, yeah. coal is wealth, and, and everything you can throw at it like that. When you melt it down to LIP, that's really what drove your decision-making. It was life safety. That's really yeah. what – and then the other part I want to bring up is, you know, you, you talk about the triple layer with, with much love and adoration. Mm. And, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, but you also talk in the same breath about how your guys are really, really good at deploying it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. no matter what you're stuck with, and I say stuck with relatively, at your department, again, tactics are local, be good at what you got. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, it's easy to sit and bitch and complain that I wish we were more like this or we were more like that. But what you got, master it. So, and yes. that sounds like that all played into your scenario. Yeah, and it was a straight shot. So, 
Your nozzle, your nozzle, <laughs> your nozzle, your hose, your your salty lid doesn't make you a good fireman. That's Bottom it. line, there's a lot of good firemen that have less than ideal operating equipment. Um, so, you know, most guys aren't in a position to decide what they have or don't have on their truck. Um, but you do get to decide your level of execution. So, um, I will say this about that. Anybody has anybody not seen the video in the crowd tonight? That he's talking about the, the VES. Uh, had that hose line not been there, I don't know that that that's a successful rescue. Honestly, is the fire was coming. I, the fire was coming, and and, yeah. and maybe maybe not. I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to what if. Mm-hmm. But you know, like you said, had they got that you know that board off that window sooner, yeah, um, and and let that flow path kind of breathe a little bit, um, it could have been a different fire. And that's and, that, and the point is, I mean, you know, you made a decision based on what you saw. And that starts where it starts in the firehouse, it starts with training. But really, what it, where it comes down to, it starts with culture. It starts with yeah, having. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I know the answer to this question, but would you say that your fire department is a default aggressive culture? Hundred percent. So that that comes to training too, right? Mm-hmm. You you train how you fight. I got you know guys. I tell this, you know, to all any, any new guy that ever works with me, like you know, oh, Cap, we got to put all our gear on. Yeah, yeah, you got to put all your gear on, because the bottom line is. Anybody that's ever, you know, done this job for long enough, I mean, you do it long enough, you understand there's a big difference. I mean, there, it's one thing if you're, you know, refining a certain skill. That's, you know, that's, that's one thing. But when we, you know, I tell the guys there's a difference between training and drilling. When we drill, we drill for full contact execution, right? Full pads practice, right? When we train, we take individual pieces and we work those pieces. When we drill, it's, it's full speed. I'm not telling you what to do anymore. Let's go. So when we drill, we, we drill full contact, full pads. Why? You have to play how you're going to fight, right? And if you don't default aggressive in your search and you half-ass your search training and you half-ass your attack training and you don't wear your gear and you don't train on be, you know, moving line and, and searching with a purpose and throwing ladders like you actually mean it, if you half-ass that it, at 10 a.m., then at 10 p.m. when your ass has been asleep for three hours, and you're wiping the boogers out of your eyes, you're not just going to miraculously flip a switch and start kicking ass on the fire ground. It doesn't work that way. You have to default aggressive in the firehouse where you spend 90% of your time in, in most firehouses, right? 90% of the time is spent doing stuff in the firehouse. And if you don't default aggressive there, then you're not going to just miraculously be some badass on the fire ground. It, it, does, it doesn't work that way. So, kudos, I mean, kudos to you guys. I mean, you guys have got a very aggressive culture. And I think that that shows in, in the success of that, that rescue. You know, there's been other successful rescues in the past in your department. But, I mean, the bottom line is, what are we, what are we trying to do, right? What are we trying to do? You know, when, are we just trying to go through the motions? Mm-hmm. Or are we actually trying to instill a culture of success, a culture of, you know, we want to win, man. I don't, you know, we don't want guys that just want to get by. We want guys that want to win on the fire ground. Yeah, I call it a hustle culture. Yeah, I, I, it seems like when I came on, it was frowned upon to run or to, to hustle on the scene, right? Like, you're a squirrel, you're this or that. And I'm like, ah, no, are we really? Because I know if it's my house, I want to see you guys running like it's your own family you're going for. Or if, you're, if you're something is burning, then not my emergency. I can't stand that mantra. No, it is your emergency. That's where we're public we service. Up. That's what we signed up we for. Signed we up for these emergencies, emergencies so yeah. act like it's personal. I don't care if it's, you know, uh, some crappy jalopy car or Ford Ranger like I used to drive. You know, that could be all somebody has, right? And we talk about the human factor all the time. You know, I'm not a huge pet guy, but I throw the pet thing in there. Once, once we've gone hard for, for humans and we got that out of the way, don't forget, when you pull someone's dog out, 
Sometimes it's like a kid to them. Mm-hmm. You want to win over a taxpayer? Pull a pet out. I mean, humans are great. Get Save someone's parrot. Like, funny story. We literally saved a parrot that got out of a cage in a tree. We blew it out of the tree with a hand line. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but um, this lady was crying when she got this parrot back in her hands. It was the weirdest thing. But, you know, people love their pets. So e- even in this conversation, you know, y- we still go hard for life and property. Um, we just got to – I think sometimes where the risk is, we're blurring it. Because some people equate aggressive with being fast and being a, a tough guy somehow or another. Eh, it's a little bit of bravado there because that's who we are. But it's a lot of bit of knowing when to push the envelope and when not to. Right and in my circumstances, when you have confirmed intel, that is no time to stop and think and to question. It's about action. And that night, I've never had more firm intel in my life. And then went around at the corner, and I said, where's she at? She's right here. I heard her, and I went, oh, man, things are totally different now. Not that it wouldn't be different before. And I've had people ask me this, well, well, if, if you didn't know she was there with that intel, would you have done that? And I said, no, absolutely not. We would have just jammed right through the front door, bulldozed in, did a search, probably found her in that back bedroom, and then made an excuse like, ah, you know, she, she was dead before we got here, right? Mm. I think sometimes in our business that's how we cope with, oh, well, X, Y, Z, that's why this happened. Well, you know, sometimes it's because maybe we weren't aggressive enough in the situation. So here's the most recent preach that I've given the guys on my ship before I went to Orlando last week. I told them this. I, I'd just been marinating on this concept of is everybody out, right, the searchable thing. So I said, here's how we're going to perceive it from now on, on our shift. If we have intel that everyone is out, meaning there's someone standing in that front yard, and they're saying, everybody is out, we're going to pull it back. If nobody is there, it doesn't matter. I don't care the time of day. We're not processing that. If nobody is there, guess what? Somebody's trapped. That's how we're looking at it. So, Because what's different about us now than last year this time is we have a, an engine and a truck in the house. So a truck can actually be a truck company now. So that's what I preach and drill in their mind. Think like a truck. You're not a Trenjin. You're not a Quint anymore. Although, don't hate me. We still have water and hose. But like, it's one of these, you're on my shift, you're not going to use that. You're not. Pretend it's not there. You're a truck company getting that mindset. So now when we roll up, those dudes are looking for those spaces. You, the term you use is uh, searchable versus survivable, yes. right? right? So they're looking for their searchable spaces. It might be behind the hose line. It might be a VES. They might split the crew, and it might be both. I don't know, nor do I care as a battalion. I'm going to give you the truck company search, and I want you to search fast and hard if we don't have intel. Too many times we're defaulting to that, oh, man, it's vacant. Oh, no one's in there. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. It's this excuse. It's that excuse. And then we find grandma on the back, you know, closet or whatever, right, or or in a bathtub or whatever the case may be. We've got to change that mindset, and aggressive has to be coupled with um, good intel and knowing where to sort of draw that line. It can't be blind aggression. You've got to use your brain, too. It's got to be intelligent aggression. But I think uh, we've got a comment on here. Is an apparatus or a piece of equipment? Yes. Trucks a mindset. That's right. Hundred percent. So funny was Pablo Jenner used to be my tailboard. All right, I was lucky enough to be his officer. 
used to be funny we'd get new guys flowed into our station and they would not know how to do something or not know what to do on a call or it would be training and they would go hey how do you want me how do you want me to dress out what do you want me to do and he would say copy the Lou whatever he looks like look like him yeah. and I never caught it until I heard him like, what are you saying he's like well you've always got the right shit on you always, you've always dressed out you've yeah. always got tools you've always got this and you always move on purpose so I never had to actually teach you guy to do anything he was the one that took over I was like just follow him whatever he does yeah I love that, that phrase move with a purpose Move with and purpose, that's right. It. And it that's, was that's about it your, your situation, okay? Mm-hmm. Your priorities were dictated. Every decision you made now, your priorities have changed because your tactics were that, what you were presented with. Mm-hmm. You know? And for us, the fire's boss. All right, that's going mm-hmm. to dictate what we do, no yeah. matter what. Whether it be hoses, whether it be search, the fire's boss. And we need to figure that out. Yeah, so in the, in the context of, of, of my call, um, with a with a truck, the call that we had uh, with a truck and the engine. So if if we played it with a truck and engine or two apparatus, the second dude being within a minute or less behind the first, they're immediately going and looking for that space. So that's not the time to search behind a hose line when you have a full involvement on the Alpha Bravo side of the building, on the majority of the front rooms. That's not the time to say, well, we're just going to wait for you to make that push, and then we're going to search behind you because it's safe. No, that's when you go, I can't get in there. We're going around to the back. We're going around the windows. We're splitting crews to do VES maybe on a single story, yeah, which is perfectly okay. Um, even with, quote, inexperienced people, if you know the certain indicators to look for, and you're doing your best to stay educated on that decision-making process. That's, that's it, man. I mean, be, make educated, aggressive decisions, right? Default, your mind should not automatically be making excuses for why we can't do our job. We should be looking for reasons why we can. And that's been said by a lot of different guys. I mean, that's, you know, the bottom line is, I mean, we have to, we have to practice what we preach, though. If we're going to tell people, yeah, you know, we're going to come get you, then you, well, you better get your ass in there and go get them, right? Um, it's it's easy for us to say that, but you know I look at that fire and the, and, and there's a lot of I just know I know that there are conversations that have taken place on the internet where people are saying you shouldn't have been in there. Not sure, but bu- bullshit, bullshit. I mean, oh, it's boarded up, it's vacant, it's it's a dilapidated building with well-involved fire conditions, and and you look at that room and you say there's no there's no way anybody's alive in there. Well, guess what? There was someone very much alive in there. Not only were they alive, they were, they were yelling, they are yeah. communicating. And I think if there's one thing we've learned over the last few years with all the you know, videos that have come out from, you know, I mean, we talked about the Polk incident and all this. I mean, there was a one in Orlando uh, several years ago where they made a successful rescue there in the bathroom on the phone for, for a good amount of time. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm in here and they're trying to work. I mean, heavy fire trying to get to them. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is you'd be surprised. I mean, a closed door can make all the difference in the world. That's all, uh, sometimes all it takes or, or a bed or something blocking that heat and that smoke, right? So, you know, it's not our job to decide whether they can or can't live, right? It's our job to go in there and give them the best chance of, of hopefully, you know, at least having a shot. I'll tell you this. People do weird things when your life is on the line. So the weird – so you talk about survivability. A bit of what I talk about in a program I've talked about this week in Orlando was the survivability factors, in my opinion, were a couple things. One, you had a high event point. Two – tons of debris in the room and what that woman did is she buried herself in that debris because when i came into the window and i stood up of course i did the tick thing boom this way that way right i'm looking Can't nothing screw. it whited out it failed the tick failed i put it down and then I, I could hear and i'm talking to her and and in a moment she says you're standing on me 
I didn't, you, you know, when you're standing on a human, yeah. I was standing on like this table. I was just standing on debris. I couldn't get a good footing. And I just remember saying, oh, I'm sorry. And I stepped back and I, and I reached down. I can't see anything. And I feel doors. I feel chairs, bicycles, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, man, I, I, she's right here, but I can't get to her. Well, she buried herself in a bunch of debris. So I called in Scott. Scott jumped in and he just started, we both started just pulling stuff off the woman. Long story short, we get out. The next day, I'm on the way to Atlanta with my wife for Valentine's Day, and Josh Materi from uh, Seattle texts me, and he says, man, I heard about your call, blah, 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 and then he forwards a video and a couple pictures, <clears throat> and I expressed to him, hey, I, I think she was buried under debris. I was part of the survivability factor, and he said I had the same thing. We made a, an apartment fire on the top floor. They get in, um, and they're searching for the lady. And it is just utter destruction in this place. He's saying the picture is pretty unbelievable. But he said, I heard something in the rubble, and the crew found her because she was buried under a bunch of debris. Totally survived, pulled her out. Right? So the point is, we can't count them out, them being those that we serve. Sometimes you can't make the situation better, but we shouldn't use an excuse of one side of a structure to make a judgment on the other side where there could be a space that we might be able to access. If everyone just changed their mindset to me get in for the search instead of finding a reason not to, yeah. you know, I think we could be a little bit more successful. And we're seeing that we are because I believe our discussion, this culture we're talking about is winning right now. It's making Some people difference. say it's not. I think it's winning nationwide because of podcasts, because of conferences, because of information, because of opinions that are being shared with Firefighter Rescue success stories. You know, and more kudos to Scambia County four or five in like six months and i've seen a video of a couple of them and they are full on hustle getting it done but also you're talking about a high performing culture that goes to a lot of fires right. you know there all these little factors are playing into these successes and people are going to do weird things whether they're under beds under mattresses in bathtubs of water under debris they're going to cover up and try to get away and that may very well save their life and being low you know, if you see the burn patterns, man, it's crazy. Like, how does someone survive that? They, they, the thermal insult wasn't there because of what they put over the body. That's my, I'm convinced that was one of her survivability factors. And she was as low as it gets because she was trying to survive. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to what Andy Starnes um, teaches, 187 degrees, unprotected airway, 20 seconds, it's done. Yep. Right? That's a body recovery at this point. So when you're talking about like burying yourself under things and insulators and things uh, like that, you're actually getting down there and you're protecting your airway with those cooler temperatures, yes. right? So that makes a huge difference. So we're talking about high exhaust points and things like that. I, I always tell everybody like, look, you make judgments off a one dimensional view. Like the worst thing that we do in the fire service is we make decisions based off what the view of the exterior is and not what's actually happening on the interior. And, and what I say about that is, a lot of people, when they make their decisions, they, they rather seek like security than opportunity. I'm not quite sure about this, so I don't know what to do, right? So I'm just gonna take the safe approach instead of taking that opportunity. Yeah. Listen, everything at a structure fire is searchable at some point. That's gonna happen, right? That search of those spaces will happen at some point in that fire, but what we have to tell ourselves is, what can I occupy right now? It's about targeting those spaces. Right? 
And and a perfect example of that is the, the close before you do, as we talked about that, right? We're literally telling people to close their doors. Mm-hmm. Close your doors tonight. It's going to save your life. The, the new number, I believe, is like 25% of victims found behind a closed door. So what that tells me is not that it's a low number, but that tells me that people are listening, right? They're listening to our message to close your door. And then we do what? We seek that stance of security, and we don't give them that chance. And we write that off because we didn't occupy the space, right? So when it comes down to all these things, really what we're after is if, if I can get in there with my bunker gear on, that's a space to search, hands down. End of discussion. And, and I believe Chief Isaacson says it the best, right? Um, searchability is up to us. Survivability is up to God. Plain and simple. Our job isn't to decide from our opinions of what this fire looks like that they're dead. Our job is to say, can I get my ass in there? Can I make this search happen? And if the answer is yes, you better fucking go. Yeah. End of discussion. So that's my rant. And we got, what, five questions? We ready for the five? Well, you guys ready for five questions? It's hard to follow up the five, I mean, the, uh, the rant right there. You said it solid. All right, five questions for firefighters. I'm going to throw them at you two because you have not had them. And then I'm going to let Sean is going to score them because here's how it works. There's no right or wrong answers. They're completely 100% your opinions. And the points are arbitrary, and tonight they're assigned by Sean. So, Nick and DJ, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Yeah, Let's do it. Absolutely. Okay, number one. I don't, uh, are we going in order here? I'll start with... Start oh, with Nick. Yes. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> You're going to out-nice each other. Here we go. For Nick, number one problem facing the modern fire service. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think uh, us. <laughs> We're our own problem. We, we spend too much uh, time worrying about, you know, what we, our preferences, likes, dislikes, or this guy's doing this or that or that department, or we can't do that because we don't have the staffing. And, uh, you know, honestly, we make excuses for a lot of stuff as a service. And I think we're our own worst enemies. You know, we talked about it earlier about we, we want to, you know, uh, uh, you know, we want to sell ourselves to the public in, in, a, in a positive light, but then we turn around and necessarily don't always follow through on our end. And I, and I think that we're our own worst enemies and, and we, we spend too much time focusing on things that uh, honestly are distractors in, in the fire service, whether it's, you know, uh, well, we don't go to that many fires or whatever, make it, you know, or, hey, you know, I don't have money to go do that, or I only have two guys on my truck, so I'm not going to be yes, or whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's a plethora of things, but the bottom line is we're own, we are our own worst enemies, and I think that uh, if we're going to be successful as a service, we have to, you know, hold ourselves accountable, uh, hold our brothers accountable, and, and just be, you know, take care of each other, right? Take care of what we do have, right, what we can't control. So, um, yeah, I think, I think if, we, if we get out of our own way, sometimes we'd, we'd be more successful. European fire helmets. <laughs> Those both get max points. It, it, I'm sorry, but metros are a close second. <laughs> you know what, you Except for the California style. I think there's a pretty cool metrosexual. I mean, what? You're going with I'm, the metrosexual? I'm, jo- I'm joking, element? by the way, not about the European thing, but about the metro. I mean, so. can you even be a real fireman with a plastic helmet? I mean, I'm just kidding. Uh, just to add real quick onto that. Um, I think it was Elkhart saying it was on a T-shirt. We're drowning in information, or starving for wisdom. Yeah, drowning in information, starving for wisdom. Yeah. Right. I, I, it's a, that's a snapshot of kind of where we're at, trying to muddle through all the, a lot of good information, a lot of bad information. Yeah. Hundred so. percent, love it. 
He gave you max points on both. I won't argue with him. Number two, the, what are you most excited about? And I'll reverse it. I'll start with DJ. What are you most excited about for the future of firefighting? Uh, thermal imaging, I think, and the heads-up displays and masks. I remember about 10 years ago talking to the Scott rep, and he says it's there. Like The, the heads-up, they've already got it for fighter pilots. It's already there in the military. He's like, you just can't afford it right now. Right. So I think when between that and then lighter air packs, more streamlined body-shaped air packs, I think are they going to two massive advances in our business because a light air pack is going to make us faster at what we do. And then obviously heads up, thermal display in your mask, like legit 360, is going to change everything about how we accomplish searches and, and attack fires. We're seeing it right now with Andy's wisdom that he's bringing forward with Tick Stuff. I mean, it's like every day. Yes. The only platform on, I'm on is Twitter, and I see stuff from him every day. And it's like I'm picking something up man, I didn't know about that. I should have known about that, but I didn't. So um, when that imaging comes here and it gets crisper and better, it's going to change everything. Hard to follow. Go for it, Nick. Um, I think for me, honestly, what I'm most excited about is this stuff right here. I see guys, um, you know, Shane Bentley sitting here in the crowd. I see fire conferences popping up, localized training, social media, um, networking, things like this have allowed us to do more together than we ever could do alone and when i see this blue collar you know grassroots stuff popping up all over the place i mean literally all over the place it's encouraging because guys are having access to training that they otherwise i mean when i you know, like I said 15 16 years ago when i come on the job there just was not as much access to this kind of training and so it's it's encouraging to me because i've, I've seen uh, uh there's there's a, there's a drum starting to beat, you know, and there's a and there's a wave starting to to swell, and and the fire service is is being changed, and, and and you know this has been said quite a bit, you know, one one training at a time, one conference at a time, right? And it's not just it's not just the conference thing, it's this stuff right here, right? It's iron sharpens iron, and we're seeing more and more guys, you know, drawing guys in. Come on, come train, come 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 get better come network, come grow together. And, and what are we seeing? We're seeing cultural shifts, subtle but powerful cultural shifts within fire department organizations because of local training. Whether it's, you know, I mean, we talked about this a, a little bit ago, right? You know, six, seven conf- you know, conferences within, within a few hours. I mean, I mean shit, there's, there's, what, six right here within, within an, an hour. And, I mean, we just got back from OSC last week, and, and you know, we're going up to Georgia next week. And, and, and it's just amazing to watch the wave starting to swell and guys getting excited. They're, they're passionate, and they're sharing that passion. They're sharing that knowledge. And this stuff right here has allowed us to network on a way in, on, on platforms that we've never been able to do before in ways that we've never been able to do to collaborate, just like we're doing right here to collaborate you know brother we talked on the phone um and and, and but this was first time we met and here we are sitting at a fire conference talking shop with passionate dudes sharing knowledge sharing experiences and getting better so for me that's that's where i see uh the, the future of the fire service starts and stuff like this next points there you go it's easy. hard to argue with those two <laughs> those are great are great answers question number three where am i starting i'm starting with the best position to have in the fire service um, not the company officer position. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, um, honestly, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a tiller. I can't. I, you know, uh, for me, honestly, I mean, I always, I, I, you know, guys will probably knock me for this, but uh, I always enjoyed driving, man. I loved it. I, you know, it's it's a blast. You're, Somebody you're, asked him. You, you know, <laughs> it's fun for most, like 95% of the stuff. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, I don't get me wrong. I love, I love being interior. I love 
fire and fire, but I think it's it's very cool because you're kind of that that glue that holds the crew together a lot of times, right? A lot of times guys won't open up to the company officer the way they will the driver. You know, he's kind of that guy that's he's kind of holding the crew together, keeping the captain from killing the guys, you know, and keeping the crew from mutiny <laughs> and overthrowing the ship. So, no, I mean, you get to do some cool shit. You get to drive the truck, you know, you get to go wee-woo, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and you're not the low man. You're not the one cleaning the toilet every every morning, but at the same time, you're, you know, you're still in the trenches doing the stuff, man. I mean, you know, you're kind of in the middle. You kind of, you get the best of both worlds, and uh, especially if you're a step-up officer, you get to still go play a little bit, and, uh no, I think it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a cool, it's a cool gig, and and honestly, it's the unsung hero on the fire ground, right? Because nobody talks about a good driver, nobody. But everybody talks about the shitty ones, right? You screw up pumping lines, getting water, man. You'll hear it. a good driver is un, unseen on the fire ground mm-hmm. because they're they're doing their shit. They're making the they're getting the lines right, pressures, getting equipment off. They, they facilitate. And nobody even knows they're there because they're just, you know, oh, you turn around, you need a hook. Oh, there's a hook at the door. It's oh. like the bass player of the fire service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, man. So I always had a good time with it. I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I absolutely love being a fireman. But I think you play bass, Corley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, that's, that's, a, that's a badass job. So. Uh, I got to say the company officer, you know, I, and I was listening to Kyle's podcast on the weekly scrap and he said the nozzleman, I agree a hundred percent, but I, I think the advantage in the officer world is the fact that you get to control your destiny a little bit. So for all the good officers out there, it's a positive thing because you're, you, you're not being, you're not under someone who may be a turd, you know, you get to control that environment and, and project, Hey, we're going to be a jam up crew. And it's it falls back on you. A little bit of pressure, but at the end of the day, you're not answering anyone but a battalion most of the time. And um, I've always enjoyed that. Plus, you still get to go on fires, and you're you're not on the nozzle, but you're in close proximity. You know, so I've always enjoyed that position the most. Well, I, I was gonna give Nick like negative points for saying driver, <laughs> but he totally redeemed himself. Yeah. So I, I think those man, those those are great responses. All right. We gotta give Max points. Start with EJ. Number four of the five questions for firefighters. Best advice you have ever received. Um man, this is so much. You know, um I think for me it I'll just say the best saying. I don't know if it's advice, but I said it earlier and it's always resonated with me. And then steal it from my brother. It's the, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's what's always kept me engaged and prevented apathy, you know, because there is a point where you think that you have arrived at, at something. And, uh, every time that's happened, I've been humbled next to that. Just, just being a servant of other people. You know, I've had people say, you know, the key to success is, is putting others before you and serving others. And I've, I haven't learned that more. Every step I move up, I think, okay, so you promote, you get to do less. No, you actually get tasked to do more. Because if you're going to be good at it, that means you're going to serve more. You know, and for me, at what I will call the final promotion phase, I've served more than I ever did in the past, differently. But it's been good. And it's been humbling, you know, um, I think those two things, being a being a servant and then um, you don't know what you don't know, are, that, those things resonate with me. Nick, same question. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Is that a ditto? Uh, or? No. Um, um, I think 
man, there there is a lot of good stuff out there. But I think uh, it, probably for me, just just being just be true to yourself, man. Like you know, hold yourself accountable. Be be true to yourself, and and ultimately, probably the, one of the best things I've ever been told is control what you can control. Control what you can control. There are things that. You know, we lose sleep over, we stress over. It, ultimately, we don't have the ability to truly do anything about it. But what you can do is you can control how you react to it. You can control, the, you know, whether you know whether it's. I mean, you know, stuff eats at you, whatever. Oh, you know, and it's hard. It's hard to practice that sometimes, right? You know, it's easier to say it, but it's a lot harder in, to practice that. But I mean, the bottom line is the truth is, if you really step back and look at stuff, whether it's, you know making things better, you know, uh, you, you want a certain uh, piece of equipment on the truck or you want to, you know, you want to do uh, a certain, you know, things a certain way with riding assignments, tactics, whatever. Um, ultimately, you know, you may or may not have the, the sphere of influence to, to make that happen, but you can control your preparation, your attitude, your mindset, and how you come to work every day. Because I can tell you right now, I've been in the past, I've been beat down at, at times where I just feel like, man, you know, what's the sense, what's the sense? And it's because I get stressed out worrying about stuff that I can't, I can't control. And, and, you know, when you step back and really look at it, it's like, why am I stressing out about something that I literally have zero ability to, to affect? Why? Why do I do, you know, why, why do we do that? We're human, right? We're human and we do internalize stuff. But you know what? That, that, just, that mindset, I think, shifting of, hey, just, just keep doing what, be true to yourself. Be, do, do what you know is right because it's the right thing to do at the right time, you know, and keep doing it whether anybody sees it or not because ultimately that's who you are. You know, that is who you are as a, as a person, as a firefighter. And if we don't, you know, if we don't hold true to that, I mean, it, you know, then, then we, it's kind of that whole, you know, gain the whole world, lose your soul kind of thing. I mean, you've got to be true to your principles, to what you stand for. Do the right thing and keep doing the right thing. And eventually, the bottom line is, you know, uh, you know things will fall into place, right? The, the, the right people will be in your life. The right situations will unfold. And, it, it, you know, that stuff will take care of itself. It'll take care of itself because, you know, again, if you just control what you can control and let other people worry about the stuff that they need to control, you know, we can either react to our circumstances or what we can we can we can face it and say okay well you know what that sucks but I'm not going to let that destroy me as a person because hey it's, you know I can't I can't influence that circumstance so if I'm true to myself I do the right thing you know and and don't worry about you know and, and I had a guy tell me one time you know um, don't sweat that stuff man don't sweat you know don't sweat the stuff you cannot you can't make a difference in you know um, make a difference in your bubble in your world and whether that's a firefighter making sure his lines are stretched you know or, or set up correctly and the nozzle and stuff like that to a company officer making sure his crew is training and you know um, it's easy to get frustrated about the, the, the stuff outside of your of your influence but you know do the very best you can with what you have uh, whether it's you know and, and sometimes it take, you got to chip away at it right you got to chip away at that elephant a little bit and, and sometimes change comes very very slow so um, that, for me, that's, that's kind of what's kind of helped keep me grounded, I think, is just like, hey, do what you can do, and the rest will take care of itself. Scoring? Uh, well, I say this, Max. I like it. I like I, it. So. I, I, that was probably the, the most 
long-winded answer to a question that I've ever heard in my life. It's been a long day, bro. However, right. it was a good answer. It was a good answer. So he gets max points. Uh, that's funny. That's the best part of it. It's just the rabbit holes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Chase a few. Uh. Final question. Where am I starting? I'm starting with Nick. Uh, heavy fire. And it used to be, um, but now it's searchable space. Just because Sean Duffy oh. came on the scrap. Boom. Heavy fire that. and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Uh, VES. That's it? Just VES? Um, yeah, I mean. Why? Yeah. Why? Well, you got to expand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get max <laughs> points if you just <laughs> say VES. Well, I was trying well, to we, we learned myself this already. from my, my <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, 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 it was. I was thinking of different <laughs> tactics this time. Um, no, I mean, you know, what, why do we sign up for this? I mean, the bottom line, I, don't get me wrong, I, stretching down the hall, hallway, making stretch is fun. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you got a chance to go, you know, legitimately give someone a chance at life, um, to me that's, you know, everything revolves around what? Even the, you know, fire tech is, is supporting, we talked about it earlier, supporting search. It's about life first. And so, you know, if given the opportunity to, to directly make an impact and, and save someone's life, uh, immediately, um, and, you know, I think that's what guys train for, right? You want to, you want to be the guy. At least in my opinion, you know, I want to be the guy that goes in there and hopefully gives, you know, all that training comes to fruition, and and we we make a difference. And like I said, that thirty second difference could be life or death, and and so that's it, it's it's all in line at that point, literally. So uh, for me, it's it's yeah, I, I want to be uh, jump through the window uh, head first if I can. I'll say first, the question's messed up. I mean. Okay. I like because this. I like that answer already. <laughs> <laughs> because who's? It's a lose lose. Because if you say I want to put the fire out, and what do you don't care about people, you know? And then if you say, well, I'm just want to, you know, save people. What do you want to be a hero? I don't know. Like what, the conversation. So for me, all joking aside, um, man, I just love to put fires out. Like there's some there's some connection. I, and I think that's what draws most of us to the Your job. Mustache. <laughs> that could be it. Too. <laughs> I could finally grow one now. I'm 45 years old. It's taking me forever. But anyways, um, I, I I like that the idea of taking something out of control and controlling it. And one of my hobbies is surfing. Even though we don't surf big waves here, there's still the concept of riding something that's seemingly out of control and controlling it. And uh, that's what draws me back, you know. Um, and I think it's the same thing with the fire service, although you're right in the fact that it doesn't matter for me if it's cardiac arrest save that we help with or it's, you know, a VES, that, that result of having that impact is profound and, and somewhat uh, undescribable maybe in some circumstance. Some people play it off. Um, I, I personally honestly feel people are called to this job. You know, they have a, they have a saying in Miami, they have a video out on it with their rookie class, City of Miami. God gives a speech, and he says, you know, he tells everybody, T-safe, T-S-A-F-E, you know, T-safe. What that means is this shit ain't for everybody. Yeah. Not everybody can do this job. Not everybody can fly a fighter jet. Not everybody can be a ranger. Not everybody can be a firefighter. You know, and, and I don't say that in a snobby way. I say that I feel like when people land here, you're landing in a calling. Each one of us that really are passionate about this it's not a job. We're just lucky to be paid for it. And part of that is the willingness to help and to serve and to insert ourselves in that dangerous situation. And ultimately, it's to help people. It's not, it's not for any accolades. 
You know, um, if, if anything, my call a lot of times makes me feel uncomfortable because I don't feel worthy of, of, of being in a situation or room or in this podcast or sitting with veteran guys like this in a room sharing experience because who am I? Where is it coming from? You know, it's nothing, man. I'm, I'm a, it's a no-name job, two-station job just east of here. But the reality is we all have something to give because we're called to do this job at a predestined, predestined predetermined time. That's just how I see it. So when I say it's not if it's when, I, I really believe it for people. You know, um, Patrick's in the in the Air Force uh, on the job. My nephew's in the Air Force on the job. You know, it's not if it's when. It may not be a house fire. It may be a plane accident. You know, who knows? But we're all here in it for that. So, but for the sheer love of the job, it'd be putting the fire out. Uh, I just love that part of the job. Excellent answers. Yeah. Both answers. Can't Little count. both. Yeah, just. I don't get to give out points for that. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I give max points. I don't I know. Either. What is the scale? Zero to it's max. Complete, it's arbitrary. It's up to you. <laughs> oh, Today, nice. Usually, it's up to me. If they like, nice. I have certain rules. If they don't say company officer on certain answers, then I don't give them max points. <laughs> I want to be. I want to be the first one on, on the scrap to give negative points. Oh, really? Who gets yeah. the negative? Nobody. I just want to do it. Oh, okay. Well, you <laughs> had your chance. So you keep me in mind. Well, he redeemed himself. That's fair. <laughs> he did. So. But he was getting there. He was getting there. Okay. That's the first duo, uh, five questions for firefighters, according to Nick and DJ at North Flyer to Fire Expo 2021. So good job, gentlemen. I just want to Thank point you. out that um, for the last two hours I've been thinking this, but yeah, can we, can we put firms? this on the, the between two uh, firms? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, someone get old of That's funny. old Zach and see if we can get this on there, man. Perfect. <laughs> perfect placement. Nice. So, perfect. Uh, it was a good night, man. It yes, was. I enjoyed it, was. it immensely. It's a lot yeah. of fun. I appreciate the invite. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's going to be a hell of a week. Look forward to it. Hey, anybody? You, questions good? More, more they beer? Want, they want to drink more beer. And go yeah, I, I can tell they definitely want to drink more beer. Do. I've been seeing right. a lot of beer filters. Tell these guys so. to shut up. I'll close it with, I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe, everybody. Too safe. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.